the setup. I'm Chris Grace. I'm John Accardo. And uh, it's Thursday. What day? What does it even matter what day it is? Yeah, uh, <laughs> it is technically, by by the way the old world counted, it is Thursday, April 9th. <laughs> the old world. Yeah. Before this was all, before time meant nothing. Right. Um, we uh, have a wonderful thing to discuss today because I just watched it last night and some this morning, mm-hmm. which we recommended people to watch. We gave them a full 10 days to watch this. Yes, there's plenty of time, no excuses. Yeah. Um, um, we're going to we're gonna talk about World's Greatest Magicians at the Magic Castle. Um, right. I don't know your- 100% what this is, to be honest with you. Yeah, it actually it says TV special from 1990, but it almost seems like something they might have like sold. Uh, some of the people commenting below it on YouTube are saying like, um, "I used to have this on uh, YouTube on uh, VHS." I mean, gotcha. Because um, um, I know there was is a- like a physical YouTube back in the day, <laughs> right? It's like a YouTube that you had to go to the store to get. Yeah, exactly. And you would rent uh, popular YouTubes. Um, this, yeah, this, because there is a TV magic special called uh, World's Greatest Magic. I don't know if this is that. I don't really think it is. I feel like the World's Greatest Magicians is a way of riffing on that title and not getting sued. Uh-huh. Um, um, before we get to that, how's your your week or so been? Uh, it's been, you know, fine. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I haven't um, been doing a lot of reading. I haven't been super productive. Yeah. Uh, I just actually, you know what? This week I just had sort of a burst of creative energy, so I, I'm starting to to uh, to try to practice more and work on some new material and cool. write some new ideas and hopefully eventually write a new show. Um, so that's kind of what I've been up to. Other than that, it's been a lot of. Um, I have not finished Tiger King, believe it or not. I, 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 oh. I've, I've, I'm halfway through Tiger King. Um, so whatever, whatever nice little uh, finale they're going to wrap it up with, everybody, I assume, makes friends and uh-huh. you know breaks everyone, bread together. Everyone gets along and they release the ti- tigers into the wild. Yeah, yeah. And then it's the last shot is Joe Exotic and, and Carol Baskin arm in arm yes. uh, as they sort of watch the nice new thing they've created. Now, you did get to the point where he was a magician. Oh, yeah. That's in the um, – unless like, there's more of it. That's in the first, first or episode. First or second episode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that show looked uh, produced – well, did you uh, you know they sort of interviewed the one um, guy who like helped him? Yes, that's in the first episode. That yes. one, the one magician. We and, get uh, him on I think this. his name is J.P. Wilson, mm-hmm. uh, who also would be in the Handsome Magicians Club, and okay, um, is a working magician. He um, you can go, go on YouTube, look up J.P. Wilson. He's got he does the halftime show at a lot of uh, uh, basketball games. Oh, okay. So he's very um, illusion based. I can, yeah. You know, what impressed me the most is that, like, watching the clips of the stuff that Joe Exotic was doing, um, you know, it, it wasn't all bullshit. Like, he was doing, like, a metamorphosis. He had a metamorphosis trunk. And yeah. I had a couple things. Stuff. And working with animals is, is hard. I, I, I mean, man, the one thing I kept thinking, like, with his TV show, with his internet show, and with his country songs and his magic, along with owning a fucking zoo, I'm like, where does this guy get the time? There are not enough hours in the day for this guy to do. Uh, what he's doing. And then um, I read 30 pages of my book today and cooked dinner and I felt like a king. <laughs> I believe that the music part is not real. Um, oh, well, he still had to shoot the fucking video. Yes, he still had the lip sync. You know what? Honestly, he still had to delegate and hire people to create right, songs which for is him. arguably the hardest part. <laughs> yeah, like he was, uh, he, no matter what you think of his work and you, no matter how much or how little of it you think is real, um, he is functioning as a producer in all of these things. 
Right. Uh, which is a pain in the ass. <laughs> right. Um, and also for the illusion stuff, he, I mean, you know, it, you, you start to get into an area where it's like, how do you distinguish between Joe Exotic being like, well, this guy is a cheesy, you know, just bought his illusions and that's all he does. Like, what is the distinction between him and like most other illusionists? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, we will get into that with the discussion of this yes. special because I think there um, are some pretty useful distinctions between the, all of the, however many, like um, 10 or 11 or 12 performers right. that are on this thing. Um, just to remind you, if you haven't watched it yet, we are talking about World's Greatest Magicians at the Magic Castle. You can mm-hmm. look that up on YouTube. It's free. How, uh, how have you been, Chris? Uh, I've been good. Um, I uh, uh, have been fine. Uh, I uh, bought a PS4 game called Dreams. I saw you post about that. What, what is that? Tell, tell me about that. So I, I can't believe... I'm on the beginning of this, so I don't really understand how this works. But basically, it is a game that is a um, set of construction tools to build whatever game or experience you would like to build. And I have played games like this before. When I was a kid, there was a thing called Pinball Construction Set for my computer that you um, could make your own uh, pinball machines, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, virtually, like, as a computer game. And it had, like, real physics and stuff like that. And that was basically, like, here's a bunch of components. Here's a a flipper. Here's a bumper. You put them wherever you want. And it was still cool, but it but this is I would encourage everyone to go to YouTube and look up Dreams PS4. And it's basically you load up the, the program and it half of it is you can play other people's games that they, they have made. Um and then the other half is all the tools for you to make stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh and I've done like maybe two tutorials on the creation side and, and at this point the idea of making some of the things that are I'm able to play, it seems crazy because if you look at the things that you can play that have been made either by the company that made the game or by other community contributors, it, the the diversity of what kind of experience you can have is staggering to me. Incredible. I'll have to look into this. Um, so it seems like an, basically uh, Eric, my husband, is currently playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Great. Uh, and this is basically like Animal Crossing times a million where people are – someone sent me a video of a person who has never done game development before who has been working on this thing for like six months where he is creating the Avatar The Last Airbender as a video game. Wow. Inside wow. this Dreams game. How long can you make – I mean how – much content can you put in these games? I don't, I don't know, know what the, the, the word I'm looking for is. I don't actually know. The main thing that I think drives creation is that I believe when you upload a game to the community site, you um, also are making... You can't lock like anything that you... You can't protect the stuff that you make. So like anything you upload, somebody else can download it and remix it and take components from it. Um and like you know, you create a cool like stone temple. They uh-huh. can download that and use that in their game, I believe. Oh, cool! Uh, so I think that. Accelerates. But I'm saying, like, how much? I mean, can if you let's say somebody makes a uh, Avatar: yeah. The Last Airbender game, that is I don't that know. a two-hour experience or is that a forty-hour experience? How much? I don't know quite yet. The things I've played on the game on the game side of it are uh, have been sh- on the short side. 
Um, I played a like a Day of the Dead platforming game yesterday. Cool. That was, I would say, the whole level was probably twenty minutes long. Right. Um, and it seems like some people are like, like in the description for that one, he said this is a follow up to these other levels that I've updated uh, and uploaded before. That's but anyway, awesome. if you need something to kill time, I imagine like uh, probably Simon Corno will be like very good at this. Oh, I can imagine he would. Okay. Um, I'll text him about that if he hasn't heard about that. I don't know that he has a uh, a PS4. Well, the um, other thing that's also Simon related was I uh, added a thing called side loading to my Oculus Quest because I know mm. Simon is a big Oculus Quest yes. proponent. That's also his main source of cardio. Fun, fun. That's right, the Beat Saber. Um, and uh, I connected that to my gaming PC, so now I can stream things from my PC to my Oculus Quest. Cool. And the thing that I did yesterday for like and maybe an hour was going into Google Earth VR and flying around the globe. Wow. Uh, and looking at flying around Edinburgh, looking at the venues. And they they have made basically a 3D version of the entire Earth. So it's not just like Google Street View. It's like these constructed three-dimensional di- three little models of every right. building on the planet with photos mapped onto them. So um, it, the fun thing is that they did Edinburgh during an, uh, a fringe because you, when you fly over the center of it, all of the assembly and uh, oh, underbelly cool. tents are like there. Right. Um, so I went there and looked at like the apartment we stayed in and that kind of stuff. So that was fun. That's um, awesome. Yeah. That's about it. I have not been doing a lot of magic except while on Zoom conference calls, I have been practicing uh double turnovers mm-hmm. to be precise and uh i've still i still love practicing that one move that i will never actually use the one that uh, eddie was able to do that one time i forgot what that was called the thing where you like palm the card and then oh right the one that he promised us he could not do and then immediately did flawlessly yes exactly right uh, by the way uh, eddie and um uh jeff is his name jeffrey his magic partner i, I believe so have been putting up some pretty cool stuff on their social media um, yeah, they really have. Eddie put out a, a matrix that was, uh, I believe, called Unmatrix, Matrixless. Was that the, uh, that, yes, uh-huh. uh, which was terrific. Anybody who hasn't, uh, watched that, go to him. I'll pull up his, his Instagram now, his handle. This is not the first time I've plugged his Instagram on our podcast because the stuff is so good. Um, th- I find it interesting because we, we talked in our episode with Simon and Nick about this idea of magicians sort of being architects of memory. Mm-hmm. Sort of almost being more concerned with how you remember a trick than how you actually experienced it, right? And that's actually not true with video magic. Because you know, I was actually before we get into this, I was going to ask you about that because that is something I've been thinking about a lot with Instagram and people putting up, you know, more magic videos. Um, you get people putting up magic videos that wouldn't normally. Um, and uh, I was thinking about um, I was thinking about comedy. And because I, I, I know I know there are a lot of comedians that like scoff at people who did comedy on like uh, Instagram or Vine when Vine was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back to a episode of Pete Holmes's podcast where he interviewed Roy Wood Jr. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about that and kind of getting into it. And his philosophy with comedy in general is just that he consumes everything. Because if it's out there, I need to see it. I need to know what's out there. I need to know what people uh, are doing. Roy, Roy Wood or Pete. Roy Wood Jr., yeah, he was, he was the one saying that. But he was basically saying that, like, he kind of doesn't like the old-school way of looking at these things where they go, well, that's not really comedy, that's not really comedy, you got to do it in a club, you got to grind it out. 
Um, but he was basically saying that he goes, if you're good live, if you can actually put on a good live show and you're really good online, he's like, you've got total domination. Like from both ends. Well, what I was going to say was that I pretty much would buy, before even having heard it, I'd pretty much buy anything Roy Wood Jr. has to say about comedy. Cause I think oh, he's, yeah. He's, I think, brilliant. I, I remember um, I first discovered him probably like 10 years ago now. He was on um, Last Comic Standing yes. with Mike Kaplan. And uh, that's the only other. Is Tommy Jonigan around? Does he exist? Uh, I think so, yeah. Those are the only two people that I know that are still reasonably well known. From was that uh, Roy Wood Jr. and 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 Mike Kaplan of, of that class. Um, the and I thought he was great then, and and to see him like blow up uh, is awesome, and he's so good. Do you listen to this podcast called uh, Good One? That's just about mm-hmm. joke writing. Oh no, I uh, don't. Roy Wood Jr.'s episode of that is very very good. I bet it is. Um, um, I just want to look up who was on Last Comic Standing season seven. To see if there's is there a specific season. season? Is that the season I was talking about? Or yes. Is there a specific reason? Yeah. So season seven was. I, there, oh, and uh, Felipe Esparza won, but I, he disappeared immediately after that. Oh yeah, there's tons of guys here. So Felipe Esparza won. He's actually a guest starred on Superstore a lot. Um. Oh Tom, yeah, he's like a customer, right? I believe Tommy. Yeah. Uh, no, no, he works in the. He like a lot of times they'll be like. Uh, I remember seeing him, but I can't. I'm blanking on it now. They'll be like, "Oh, we're gonna have drug tests this weekend," and he'll be like, "Oh man." <laughs> <laughs> uh, second place was Tommy Jonigan, who I think is still working. Roy Wood Jr., Mike DiStefano, who's very funny. Uh, I believe he passed away. Uh, 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 let me see. Yes, Mike DiStefano is a great comic. Um, Mike Kaplan, uh, Jonathan Thymius, I don't know, but Rachel Feinstein, still working lots. Oh, yeah, I forgot she was on that. Uh, Lori Kilmartin, still working a ton. Yeah. And uh, James Adomian. Oh, wow. I just... so, so, really good. Um, yeah, a really good year. Set. And then here's some other comics that appear, you know, like they, they appear in like the clubs but don't get picked. Oh, sure. Um, other names that appeared are Jimmy Dore, Kyle Grooms, Nikki Glazer. Wow. Tiffany. That's the same season? Yeah. Tiffany Haddish. Holy shit. Um, but, 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 but Kathy Ladman, Jared Logan, Shane Moss, Kurt Metzger, Jason Nash. I Nash. Jared Logan. Um, uh, and uh, Ryan Hamilton, who's great. I know him from yeah. New York. He's great. Uh, Ryan Hamilton does a great special on Netflix, by the way. He does. Uh, Happy Face, I think it's called. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah that's someone who just looks like he's been working nonstop and just has this super tight <laughs> hour. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking that that made me think about like magic in the terms that that now obviously people. I mean, I actually bought a trick. Um, from Sans Minds the other day, just because it's like I'm, I've now kind of forced to think about magic on Instagram. You know, the only mm-hmm. magic I'll be doing on a while is on Instagram. Should I choose to do it, either seriously or as a or as a joke? Um, uh, and um, yeah, it's, it's just it's a it's a new thing. All those Instagram magicians, they're having a real moment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about when you see magic on on Instagram? Because yeah, that is a different experience. It's not about the past. It's about you can, it's something you can scrutinize. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say about um, Jeffrey and Eddie's material is that um, uh, Jeffrey just put up a thing where he had two coins or he had a coin that was going between his hand and his mouth. Um, and uh, you should all download his Now You Sleeve Me uh, magic. By the way, product. Eddie, um, I, uh, uh, his uh, 
Instagram handle is magic underscore G-I-E. So it's uh, magic underscore J-I-A-Y-I. Uh, he has some wonderful videos up. Uh, he's a super, super nice, cool guy. Um, yes. So go follow him, and, and that's where a lot of the stuff can be found. I, I am a, I'm slightly befuddled why Eddie did not choose Jerry as his uh, American name since his Chinese name is Jiayi. Um, but uh-huh. I also don't know what goes into those kinds of decisions. And maybe he just right. likes, maybe he loves, you know, somebody named Eddie as an idol. Um, uh, Jeffrey Wang's uh, illusionist thing is uh, called Now You Sleeve Me. Anyway, he did a thing where he he did has a coin going back between his hand and his mouth. It's excellent. Um, and I was, I, I probably watched that 10 times just trying to track the, where things are. And there's still, uh, one or two moments in it where I'm like, I don't really understand what's happening here. Right. Now, a lot of times that turns into me being like, oh, that was actually a gimmick that moment. Um, but most of his stuff is not gimmicks. So I would believe it if it's not. Do you think that a magic video on any kind of social media platform needs to be frame perfect? Like, what do you think? Do you think you need to make a a, a magic performing a performance on on any kind of social media that cannot be backtracked by watching it over and over again, or do you think that that's that you can do? It's you can do something that you should be able to do live. I currently think that if your audience is somebody watching it on an Instagram on a phone. I think it kind of probably has to be frame perfect. Mm-hmm. And I actually would probably, I'm starting to lean kind of towards it's its own thing. It doesn't need to replicate the conditions of a live um, experience because of the rewindability. Right. Um, because if you, right, there's such a higher burden of what you have to accomplish on a, video that you don't have to do live. Yeah. So now this leads me to places like, uh, as a person who's not an expert and just an amateur in this world, I kind of, if, if they were doing full us and there was a moment where something flashed on full us that I right now would almost be like, it wouldn't be that big a deal to me if you edited around that. Or even if you like painted out like the white of a card that flashed between two fingers or something. Right. Just because, it's just a different thing. Now, I think that I would feel differently about a magician performing for a crowd of people in a park and it's, you know, like David Blaine style. Mm-hmm. Um, because then in a way, you aren't, you're really the audience for the reaction to the trick often in those situations. Um, yes. Of course, but then that leads you down moral slippery slopes. Like, why don't you just hire four actors to like react to your trick? Sure. <laughs> Um, uh, that that is interesting too because um, I think when was David Blaine's first special little street magic? I think it was ninety seven or ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that was really one of the first times where a magic special showed you the audience up close. Right. Um, That's the first time that they weren't really just like a in a um, you know big st- st- theater. You know where they're just people clapping, but you could really see these people and you could really see their reactions. You really turned around and then that became the experience of sort of watching it through these people's reactions. Yeah, the, the uh, David Blaine Street Magic is basically like the and one street basketball specials where all of a sudden it like this culture just completely changed the conversation about what people think of magic. Absolutely. Um, so, oh, and I will say something else that I watched um, is I watched two episodes of the Queeby show 
something something Lear Suchard. <laughs> Uh, I forget what the name of the show is. Oh, he, I know who that is. Um, he's a mentalist. Yes, he has a he has a mentalist show on Quibi. Quibi is the new right. How is that? Um, it's okay. How much? How much does it cost? It's four ninety nine a month. You but they have a ninety day free trial right now. Gotcha. Uh, it's gone mental with Lior. Um, and this is why I was thinking about this recently because there is no way that uh the tricks that are in this show are all that happened. Sure. Im- impossible. <laughs> First of all, I know that that's true generally with mentalism, that there's a lot of pre-show. Um, but the, in, even in this case, it's just edited in a way that's just like, there's no way that this happened. And, and, and almost like there's no pretense in trying to present it. I mean, maybe it is trying to present it like that, but like, I, I guess I'm getting to a point where like, maybe it doesn't bother me as much because it's just like, they're just trying to give you in a TV show the feeling of what it would be like to be tricked by this guy. And if you saw him live, you he would not be able to do it the exact way that it's presented on this show. But he could probably right. create something that feels the same. If anybody's interested who doesn't have Quibi, uh, Lior Suchard has done a couple shows on the late night circuit. I know yes. he has done Cor- James Corden. Uh, had some interesting stuff there with America Ferreira, I think. Um, he did a James Corden thing where I was like, this is this has to be pre-show, right? Um, and uh, you know what's interesting though is is um, I'll actually have to text him after after this and ask him. Uh, Aaron, a friend of the podcast, Aaron Hollander, who worked on my Edinburgh show, her brother went to a um, a conference, some kind of convention thing, uh, um, I think in Washington, and uh, Lior Suchard was performing at it. Uh, and so he texted me at, right after he saw him. He said it was amazing. So I mean, you know, what what is interesting is that he still can't. It's it's nice to know that he's out there doing live shows that yeah. they're not just kind of building careers off of things that I, aren't represent- I like him a lot. representative. I, I think his general, I, I like his performance energy a lot. I actually don't, it actually doesn't seem like that many magicians talk about him or like, he doesn't seem to have, people don't seem to have any opinion or regard for him from what yeah, I Yeah. He's not a big, huge name. He, he is, you know, I'd never heard of him before I'd seen him on Corden. Yeah, um, and I think a lot. You know, what's funny is I think a lot of the people that are really out there. I'm gonna turn down my gain just a little bit. I see my my thing spiking. Um, a lot of the people that are like out there working the most um, tend to not be huge names in magic because they just kind of keep their head down working. You know, if they're mm-hmm. if he's just out there doing corporate shows, all the people doing corporate shows probably know him, but it's it's not like he's you know putting out material every three months or a book every year. And that's how you know the whole community knows them. Um, well, again, that's a, like a thing where magic is such a strange field because uh, it probably benefits him to not totally have all of his stuff exposed. I, I just mean exposed in terms of like knowing what's coming, right? Before he does a corporate gig, um, whereas, um, uh, like Eddie and Jeffrey, who are doing these incredible coin manipulations. Uh, probably is still amazing to see them do it in front of you as it was when you saw them on a video. But right. if you're watching, like it, it almost seems like two different fields. One, like, especially if one side of magic doesn't involve audience participation and one does mm-hmm. um, the side that is, has a lot more interaction with an audience. Um, I'm sure that exposure benefits you in terms of like getting hired and stuff, but like in terms of impact for his live shows, it's probably worse for him to be like very famous. Right. That's um, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, 
So I, I would know, recommend that. Like people should definitely go watch that. There's there's things in that show that are uh, just very impossible seeming. Um, so I guess take it with a grain of salt because like thing is if he that what that always comes down to like uh, I guess that thing of like the impossible how impossible the perfect impossibility or whatever that is mm-hmm, where it's like perfect principle two perfect principle where it's like i mean if this happened the way you presented it then he is just magic <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point uh with that said i mean talking about magic on video um here's a time where no um to, to the best of my knowledge uh no effort has been made to change any acts for uh for for the screen. These are people just performing their acts through various rooms at the magic castle. Uh, I'm going to just list off the names, um, that appear in this special. And then I think we're just going to kind of tick through them one by one. Does that sound sound all right Uh with you? Uh, so you've got, um, Kevin James, Paul Kozak, Rudy Kobe, Tina Leonard, Brian Gillis, uh, Jonathan Neil Brown, who now just kind of goes by Jay, uh, Neil, Steve spill, Goldfinger and dove, which I'm so excited to talk about that one. Uh, Johnny (laughs) Ace Palmer, uh, I can't read that last one. Scott. Uh, Sir, Sir Ben, I think. Sir Ben. Uh, and then, of Sir course, uh, Lan- is that Lance Bertone? Yeah. Don't know who that is. I'll have to Google him. Um, hopefully, he's still around. Anyway, um, uh, how many people was this your first time seeing? Um, For one, me, there was definitely a few. Two, three, four, five, six. And I had never really watched a full Lance Burton thing before. Got it. Um, yes. Yeah, so I will. Uh, let's start, go down. I, I have the YouTube video up here on mute, um, so I can just to kind of refresh my memory. Starts off. What's interesting is, yeah, this must be. I mean, not to knock the, the, the whoever made this. I wonder if this has to be some kind of like ripoff or or the Magic Castle trying to cap uh, capitalize on um, World's Greatest Magic because we've never seen a World's Greatest Magic special. They're pretty big uh, and really grand, um, and they were all hosted by uh, John Ritter. Oh. At least some of them were hosted by John Ritter. And this guy, whoever, I don't know who this guy is hosting this thing. Oh, we talked um, about I, it last I, time. This is Peter Scolari. This is the um, the co-host on Bo- uh, co-star of Bosom Buddies with Tom Hanks. Got it. Okay. Um, he because was, to me, he just, as somebody who doesn't know Bosom Buddies very well, which I'll be it as my own thing, I should probably watch it to call myself a Tom Hanks fan. But uh, this guy just feels like a, like, a, like a poor man's John Ritter. Oh, yeah. Well, Peter Scolari is a great comic actor. Um he actually reminded me of um, if this was um, more modern, this would have been a Jason Alexander uh, spot. Oh, I bet, yeah. Because because he actually does a little bit of magic in the show. Peter Scolari. Oh, yeah, does. he does do like a cups and balls routine, right? Yes, he does a cups and balls, and he vanishes a coin in a way that's like, oh, that is, you know, that was real. Right. And he was wearing gloves in you know, uh, yeah, Cardini style. That is true. Um, so yeah, Peter Scolari. Uh, uh, thank you for reminding me of that. Um, but yeah, this just feels very reminiscent of like these world's greatest magic specials. I don't know which ones came first. I don't know who is ripping off who. It is just funny to see that um, you really, you really just sort of picked which. Like there was really a very similar vibe between these yes. two. And it, um, um, now also, there's another host. Oh, the 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 older guy who's announcing the acts, right? <laughs> yes. What the fuck is that? Yeah, so there's two hosts for this show. There's Peter Scolari who's sort of saying like, oh, welcome to the castle. And I, am I wrong at the beginning? He said like, I've gathered all these people at the castle. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a party. Yeah. Um, and so even when you're in the Palace of Mystery for some of these acts, nobody's sitting down. They're all that standing. That was weird too. People are standing in the Palace of Mystery. And then there's another guy 
with a like this a big old, medallion old, around him. Yes, this old man. And he's the one telling you who the acts are. And a couple of times he, like, before, I think it's, um, was it before Jay Neal, where he, like, has to, like, run into the room and be like, or maybe for one of them, he's like, uh, whoever does the napkin thing. He, right, I can't remember that person's name at the moment. He like runs into the room. Was like, oh my god, oh here you are, and now this person, or or maybe that's before yes. Br- Brian Gillis. There's a weird thing where he runs into a room and introduces somebody. Right, <laughs> it might have um, been Brian Gillis actually. So uh, so we start with uh, Kevin James in yep. the. Pe- um, it's funny is it, as we go through. Yeah, there's, it's clearly set up as a party because Peter Scalari is walking through the castle and there's balloons everywhere. So there's some, supposed to be some very very lavish party. This uh, older gentleman announces Kevin James. Kevin James has uh, a very late eighties nineties uh, late eighties haircut. He's got a bit of a mullet thing going on. He has very much a, um, a Kiefer Sutherland in Flatliners look. If yes, anyone's familiar with that. There is definitely a key. Th- thank you. That that definitely clicks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A Keith, Kiefer Sutherland vibe. He is gonna be. He is the first of several people um, that I I watched in this thing that I recognized. Where I said, "Oh, I had no idea this act of theirs was so old." Um, yes. So Kevin James. So Kevin James currently he's do, he does two illusions on this thing. He's opening with the Chaplin doll, where he animates a Chaplin doll, and I was just surprised uh, to see. Um, there's a couple people, and, I, and I'll say this again later. Um, but I liked what was interesting about this is as not as a knock that. Oh wow, he's doing the same thing. I was the reason I was shocked to see that it was so old is because if you see it now, it still feels pretty fresh. Um, it doesn't feel very very tired. Um, uh, you know, all, what's also interesting is if if you know his Chaplin doll act, which I, I, I can't imagine is hard to find on YouTube. I imagine you could find a more modern version from something from the Illusionists, from an America's or Got Talent, from Vaudeville Three Thousand. Vaudeville 3000, that's right. He's de- he definitely did that one. Uh, but he kicked off the original Illusionist tour as well. He was one of the first, yep. the Illusionist. Um, you can see, first off, what's interesting is there are actual differences. He did update this, uh, the way that he does what he needs to do in the end to turn that into a real a real boy. Um, um, my memory of seeing this at the Magic Castle recently, like in the last year, we, we saw Vaudeville 3000. And, oh, that's um, right. Uh, my memory is that he didn't cover the person, the doll's head in the same way. Yes, that is because different. that is a very uh, and whatever new way he does it, I think is much better. Because in this I one, agree. it's kind of like, um, why why are you assembling this doll in this one point? Like it feels very telegraphed to me. Yeah, he's putting the head on and he lifts the lid up over the box that hinges down and covers the front of the face. Yeah. Um, and that is now how he, and that is uh, outdated. Um, still good. I mean, it's not terrible. Uh, what is what I'm saying is it, it is better. It is he has improved upon it. Um, now this special is 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, and I'm curious to know how many Chaplin doll actors there have been. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I've met that guy once uh, because he when looks we were the same. all when, what he looks like the same guy. I think it is. Um, I, I met him at FISM, and I uh, uh, I'd be surprised. Seemed like a very nice gentleman. Uh, has uh, has Kevin James ever competed in FISM? Oh, I don't know. Uh, um, now, I will say that, speaking to the point about whether things can be reviewed, you know, frame perfect on uh, video, uh, there's, I, it's not really a flash, but there's something that happens, like, right when this, where I'm just like, oh, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, what are you talking about? Like, I- after he moves the banner... That said, he flips it around, says "Made in Taiwan," and right. we've switched to a person. 
mm-hmm. the, the guy moves. <laughs> like, not when he's supposed to move. Oh, yeah, there's a little shift right there. He just, like, turns, I'm just like, okay, all right. Yeah, that's really fu- I did not notice that. <laughs> Uh, that's really funny. So he does the Chaplin doll. Chaplin doll is uh, great. Now, I- I'm assuming he does not have the sawing routine. Otherwise, there'd be no reason why it's not here. He does a routine that I have seen him do before. I've never seen this one. Yeah, so this is something he does not do anymore. Um, it is an, a severed hand illusion um, that I believe can be bought. Uh, I-, I believe he has marketed this. It's mm. especially great for, like, marketed towards... Not necessarily kids, but, you know, teens and sort of beginners, people kind of making their way into it. I mean, it's the idea is he picks it's sort of like the thing from Adam's family. He picks a severed hand out of a box, and uh, it, it animates, and he kind of, you know, has fun with it for, if I'm being honest, a little too long. Well, this is one where um, uh, I don't think there's any question about what's the what the method is here for an audience member. see i don't know that i that's the, the i mean i think that's true I, I i don't think people are questioning it but i don't think that magicians necessarily think that i think i just feel I, I like it's, it's kind of neat to watch as like a puppetry thing but you can't right. come away from it being like how is that done <laughs> like i don't know to me it seems very I mean, obvious look I, I i hope that's the i hope that we all know that i hope that it's not like some weird secret yeah um but I think, you know, I, I have thought a lot about there are routines that I think people do for too long uh-huh. because people do them for too long. And so then more people do them from too long. Uh, just like the same exact thought process for when I wanted to try a Sands of the Desert, where I, my question was like, is this a good trick or is it a good trick because magicians keep doing it because they think it's a good trick? Like, right. do people like this or do magicians like it? Well, I guess um, my my argument that goes for this and the Sands of the Desert thing is that the, I would I would put this in the category of like that's neat to look at, but I'm not really like fooled by it. But sure. it's but it's cool to look at. Kind of like that guy who has the um the white suit and they project stuff onto him. Oh, Ted Kim. Like that's not magic in the same way, really. Yes, but that is also I believe with Ted Kim, for anyone that doesn't know Ted Kim, Ted Kim's a great Korean, uh, I'll call him a magician for, for now at least, who has this really cool act. Uh, it's essentially called, I believe I heard of it, called his white art, um, as opposed to black art, where he's wearing a white suit, and he is, um, thing, has things projected onto him. And there is magic into, uh, in it, but he's, he's made these projections that, you know, then he's dressed as Mario, and he does this whole you know thing as Super Mario for, for a little bit. Um, and there, and then you know, uh, there is magic in it. And, and, and every time I've seen it, it's been different. He's always updating what those projections are, and, and you know, with pop culture and, and things of that nature. Um, but that is, at the very least, when you know it's not magic, you know it is something. But with a routine like this, the routine, the the, the analogy I was going to draw was um, as far as things that go on too long is the dancing cane routine. I think almost every dancing cane routine goes on way too long. Uh-huh. They show a cane, they make it twirl, you know, with without holding it for a minute, and. Again, maybe need to watch, but nobody's wondering how those canes are right suspended. It might be, I mean, it might be the official position of our podcast that most magic goes on too long. <laughs> yes, that is that is probably true. Um, now, some people have gracefully solved that. I think Raymond Crow, who's been on an Illusionist, one of my favorite performers. He's an Australian. I think he's not even, he labels himself as like an unusualist or something. He does a lot of weird stuff. Uh, he's like shadow puppets and things like that. And he's really interesting and very, very creative. He does a dancing cane where the cane, like as if it's static charged, sticks to his, clings to his body. Um, it's like stuck to his arm, stuck to his leg, and it keeps kind of doing that. And only at the very end, for just one moment, does it uh, actually float. It floats from like one hand to the other, and then he's done. Uh-huh. 
um, which goes in line with the Morgan and West book uh, I read, where they talk about the uh, multiplying bottles, and they say that the, what they do is the moment that bottle switches place with the glass is the most impressive part of that routine. So we build up to that. We the ba- the bottle keeps traveling back to where it started three to four times, and then we do that transposition, and then we're done. We don't take it any further because that's the most important impressive part. We do it once, it gets a reaction, and we move on. Other than that, it'd be belaboring it. Right. Um, speaking of belaboring it, I'll move on. <laughs> um, now we get this. Got to be your favorite magician of the show. Um, you know what? Um, first off, here's my first question. So this is Paul Kozak. Paul Kozak, I believe, I've never heard of him before. He's still around. I, I believe he's based in Hawaii. So um, since he's still around, I'm going to let you take the lead on this <laughs> as not I a mean, magician. This is, to me, like... Um, I have one I have a one thing that I'll, 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 I'll let my, my forked ton, tongue come out about. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, I, I personally would probably find this guy entertaining, but... This is very much like a Burt Wonderstone type magician. This is very 80s. Um, where he just has a lot of very strange... Like, he'll do, like, some impressive sleight of hand or, you know, like, his mechanical skills are quite good. Oh, yeah, there is. There's actually, there's that, there's, um, that flower petal to egg thing here that looks quite good. Um, I, I think he's just, like, doing that switch in his hand in a pretty yeah. impressive way. First things first, um, I'm not 100% sure I know where this is. Do you know where this is? Um, I was going to ask you that about a lot of this um, With show. This is the only one I really kind of can't put a finger to. Um, if, if anybody wants to send us a message, if you're watching this, uh, Paul Kozak, he's the second performer on this, about six minutes in. Um, I, I do not know uh, exactly where this room is, and I, but it looks so familiar. I know that somebody's going to think I'm an idiot for not recognizing it. So I it. thought it was either maybe like in front of where the Peller is, um, or... Maybe where the divernon table is, but that's sort of my guesses. I don't. Yeah, know that- there's a big. Yeah, there's a big curtain behind him, which I I just don't a hundred percent know. There's some couches and paintings that look familiar. Yeah, that must be where the because I, I feel like behind him to the right is that um, Blackstone Senior painting, which who knows if that's moved yeah. in thirty years. Like I said, this was before. This was five years before. Four years before I was even born. Um, See, right now I'm at about seven minutes in. He's doing the egg thing, and it looks really good. That switch is is, is good. There's one moment in this, though. This is all I'm going to say about this. There's <laughs> one moment in this that I get as intentional, but it's like, it's so confusing to me. He does, he's doing a bunch of magic, a lot of very visual stuff, fire yeah, yeah. and stuff. I think I know what it is, because there's a point where I was like, what was that for? And then it happened again. Uh, go ahead. What do you think I'm going to say? It's when he just throws streamers onto an audience member's. He does it. He does it more than once. He throws streamers directly into the face of these people in these masks, um, and then just leaves it on them. And then he does it again. <laughs> um, yes, that those extras. Uh, there's a lot of fun. Yeah, he did, there he goes. It again. At one point, though, he he poured some water into a thing. After he pours the water in. He turns to a lady on his left, and he goes, what are you looking at? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I go, what the? You're doing magic. What the fuck do you think she's looking at? No, there's a lot of weird stuff like that where he does a trick, and then he, like, giggles to himself in some in this weird way. Um, so um, I've not, yeah, I don't know who this person is. Uh, uh, but, yeah, his technical I mean, skill, this is, this is such a 90s, like, stage act to me. You know, streamers, fire, snowstorm. Yeah. Um, I love this guy. He's great. However, I, at the end, it looks like he's doing the snowstorm, not with paper, but with glitter. Yes. And I'm like, if I fucking go see you and you just like fan glitter all over me, <laughs> that, that's not a satisfactory well, You have to end. wonder, like, 
these extras probably warned about this. They're just like, stand here now and love everything that happens. You know what I mean? Right. In fact, I, I bet you at the Magic Castle, one of those pieces of glitter is still in the, in the castle. Oh, I bet you that glitter is stuck to the butts of every extra in that room. Somehow, <laughs> it's just 30 years later, it's glued on. So now we are watching Peter Scolari again. I Again, man, oh man, I don't 100% know. I see the Wandering Eyes photo behind him, um, so which means this has to be some variation of like Irma's room maybe or the uh, main lobby. Yeah, but stuff's been moved around a lot, right? Yeah, so he's doing some uh, – yeah, oh wow. So yeah, he just did a French drop – with gloves on. I, I mean, and you can just tell by the way he does it that it's like, you know, that it's some, he didn't just learn that for this. Yes. Um, so he does a fun little routine. Uh, a coin disappears. He's like a three shell game with a coin and some cups and it disappears. This fun way of getting into it. Um, uh, it is some jokes about not being able to find the coin. Now the old man shows back up with like a lady next to him. And now he announces Rudy Kobe. Yeah. Uh, Chris, you've seen Rudy Kobe before. I did in the vaudeville 3000. Act. Yes. Um, I, I mean, I like, I like most, I like seeing most of this stuff because again, I'm an amateur and I find it all fun. And because I'm an amateur, I don't feel a connection between like something like this and what it says about my prospects in terms of a career. (laughs) Uh, what do you mean? Like, I don't think about like, if I see a hack comedian, I get annoyed if he's popular because I'm like, oh, is that what people want? Jesus. Like, right. That's different than what I want to do. And so since I don't have that relationship to magic, um, I think it's easier for me to enjoy stuff like this. And also it's astounding to me that the parts of this that I have seen are this exact are exactly the same <laughs> 30 years later. Right. Um, um, now, now, right. I'm just, I'm sort of watching it as we're going through this. He, you know, there's something he does not really do anymore when you see him, and that is he does a pretty fucking impressive costume change. Um, uh, yes. To open up this act. Uh, yeah. And there's some. It's really cool. Now, also, it's worth mentioning, Chris, if you didn't really know this, that around this time, I think late 80, mid to late 80s, maybe going into the 90s, I don't 100% know my timeline, Rudy Kobe was huge. He had oh. specials. He was doing shit with Dick Clark. He was really, and Magic is like top, top of his game. I did not know um, this. Um, I, I will point out that at this point in time in, in the American, uh, in society, you were required by law to have gigantic shoulder pads. Right. Uh, which Kevin James was compliant with, and so was Rudy Kobe. Yeah, um, thank you for checking that for me. I would say um, that they probably bonded over shopping for shoulder pads. <laughs> so this is another routine. Uh, this is his, this is this Rudy Kobe's signature routine. He's doing. He's got four legs. Um, if if you if you if you if you don't know this routine, yet you've heard of the name Rudy Kobe. I I, I could not fathom how that is the case. Um, do you th- again? This this goes back again to another. Um, what we were just talking about. Do you think it matters that people know how this works? What, what do you think is in his head right now? Um, so is I this think entertaining. That, is I, it impo- Is it a puzzle? Is it? I would say the imp- difference between this and the hand thing that Kevin James was doing was that th- that this plays a little more at times with, and I think we've discussed before the Swedish guys. Yes, um, uh, Axel Adler has a has a three leg routine that is quite wonderful. So I think it's to the to the degree that you are. Tr- I I think that it's in, inevitable that an audience's mind would be trying to figure out how this is working. So the degree to which you are playing with that expectation is probably a major factor of this. Now this probably predates uh, Axel Adler's 
act by many years, I guess. It probably predates Axel, Axel Adler by yeah. many years. So it might be that 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 play with the expectations, like in the '90s, this would have been like truly befuddling, and then maybe 15 years later, it's not. I don't know. Um, right. I did spend my time watching this video, going like, "Oh, okay. I think these are his two real legs." Um, right. That and, it, and to his credit, it's very difficult to tell which ones are his legs. Yeah. Um, the the there's something about this tone of performance where like. The, the the chainsaw is like floating and attacking him. So right. Something about that I find un, unpleasing. <laughs> or, or like disturbing in some way. But I do love like this, like when he gets really tall. Um, it's very creative. And I guess the thing is that the, the only thing that I would have a reservation about is that I would hope that, um, and maybe it's just because technically these things are hard, but like if in 1990 you had this like really creative, fun act that I do think is really cool, that I would prefer a culture where you like kept trying to come up with new stuff over the next 30 years. Yeah. Um, uh, this is definitely the, the act you'll see if you see Rudy Kobe. And, and what's interesting is, and he, I've heard him talk a little bit, he hasn't really addressed that, but he talked about his philosophy. Um, I saw him give a lecture at the castle, I don't know how many years ago, probably seven or eight years ago now. Um, and he was saying, his, basically his big thesis was on creativity and such. He goes, if you have, he goes, all you need to be successful is two original minutes. He goes, if you have two completely original minutes, it'll take you around the world. Um, and for him, that was, was true. Uh, you can't you can't take that away from him. It definitely, that is correct through his lens. And I would say when he made this, those were two more than two very original minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's interesting. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the same um, as as like him saying whether or not he should be making a new act or not. Uh, that, that that those happen to the same thing. But I do know that is his philosophy in general on on making sure you have something creative. So that you, if you have two minutes, it'll take you where you want to go. Well, also, I mean, if that's if he doesn't want to do it, he doesn't have to either. So you know, um, I I would find it maddening to do the same thing for thirty years. I think. Right. Oh, um, so would I. Um. But. Uh, I guess the thing that I question as an artist is the idea that anybody has ever reached like some platonic ideal about what the, any routine should be seems I would, I would question that, right. That anybody has reached a point where they're like, this is what the act is. It's perfect. I'm now going to do this for decades. Yes. Um, that just seems unlikely. Yeah. And, I don't think I've ever read a, a book on magic or any kind of writing, really, that has suggested, you know, a process and editing and this that is ever said and then you're done. Like, every single thing I've ever read with any authority on anything about writing or creating said you never, ever stop editing, you never stop changing, you never stop developing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know what? If you haven't seen Rudy Kip, I believe they, they come around and do Vaudeville 3000 at the Magic Castle like once a year or something, don't they? Right. Something and, like that. And you must in Vegas be able to see Kevin James somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure. I don't know what he's up to right now. And um, at the very least, you can buy some form of snow uh storm from him oh yeah or you can, you can buy, buy that, more uh, than a couple things from or him. you can yeah, buy that. you can buy his floating rose floating rose yeah or the uh bowling ball thing yeah uh you can buy bolorama all right next is uh let's see i don't know uh, i don't know oh, what his well, name is the guy the neither do i um because next listed is tina leonard and that is not who this is so set, next comes uh somebody if you if you know who oh, this let is let me see if i can what let's see 
he's going to run in and introduce him real quick. Oh, yeah. Turn up your volume. Is it, he said art suite? Sure. He, it's funny. He's not on the first list of magicians. Yeah, he's not listed. Um, so now he does a pretty classic uh, uh, paper balls over the head, um, which is, uh, it's you know. It's good. It's, it's paper balls over the head. This is just, I was thinking about this today, and I was like, I'm not even necessarily trying to be a dick and making a statement about whether or not this is okay, but it's just like, it is strange to me that this is allowed, that you can just like, you know what I mean? Like, people are doing that exact same same thing today it's exactly the same where where does um, this where does this come from this comes from tony slidini and oh. i'm gonna pull up the video now um and, and see if i can find it uh but when tony slidini does it on i believe it's the merv griffin show no um tony cavett uh um yeah I, uh dick did i say tony dick cavett what did i say you said tony <laughs> yeah that's not a person right uh, well, I'm um, sure there is a person. I'm sure there is some point uh, in the world a, 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 a Tony Cavett. He does it on on one of these shows. I believe it's to make sure I have this the right video. Um, yeah, and it's quite brilliant. Uh, you actually, it really is wonderful. And unfortunately, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Sorry, because I we do have the original to watch. And of course, it's Slidini, and he's a master. But everybody ruins this routine. Um, his is brilliant and wonderful, and nobody else can do it, which is why the the bad version exists. Um, and uh, uh, he, he just, he, the, the, I'll, I'll send you the link, Chris, and you can watch it. Uh, anybody, if you just type in Tony Slidini paper balls, um, I believe the video is just called Tony Slidini. It's put up by Magic Archives. And he's just going to um, completely uh, uh, fool this guy. And he just, the way he uses his body, how, when he moves his hands, uh, it's really small. Everybody else makes these gigantic throwing motions uh, so that they're completely out of the uh, eye frame of the person who's watching. But this, his hand kind of stays in that person's eye line the entire time. So it never feels like there's some big mo- motion. Um, and it's wonderful. And that person is really, really mystified and amazed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's it's quite wonderful. Uh, um, are you looking at the one where he uh, is doing it to a young man in a suit? Yes. Okay. I will say that there's Slidini paper balls overhead, higher quality version is the one I'm looking at. Got it. Uh, and looks quite good. Um there's a couple of routines of versions of him doing it on, on YouTube. I imagine that all of them look uh, quite good. And it is interesting. So your question is like, th- here's someone on a commercial product just doing someone else's routine. Well, it's not even that they're doing someone else's routine. It's just that I feel like it's this weird thing where you just, let's make a magic special. Great. Who's going to do the paper balls over the head? Who can we, who's, who do we want to do it? You oh, want this, you know by what the I mean? way, his throws over the head are way better. That's like, what I'm saying. T- Slidini's, right? And and genuine, yes, and genuinely entertaining to watch. Yes, it's quite wonderful. Um, and, and that's why, like, I I saw this, I mean, probably six or seven years into Magic, and I was like, holy shit, that's what it used, that's what it, lo- that's what it can look like? Holy right. fuck, that's incredible. Um, and now it just kind of becomes the gag people, people do. And, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, there's something kind of cheeky about the way he throws the balls because it's sort of an, an arrested movement. And then the arc of the ball is much more satisfying than the... Honestly, the way the way that... the, the And this guy does it fine on this special, but the way he does it is kind of like the way you think... You could watch it and be like, I could do that. Like, Sure. I could just chuck it over somebody's head. And but let me tell you, you, you probably the, the, could. 
Yeah, but the but the um, Slidini one is has a little bit of poetry to it. Yes, oh, it, it, which is true of, of almost everything Slidini did. He has another great routine that he did uh, um, called the helicopter car, which can also be found on YouTube, which is, again, a very simple idea and a simple premise and a simple method um, just done in a way that really nobody else can do because very Danny D'Artiz-esque of like, yeah, you can teach this to people, but people aren't really, it's, it's not the same. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's um, that's not a perfect analogy, but um, this re- this reminds me of when um, you had told me about Eric at the castle saying that like uh, it took him not that long before he's like, oh, a lot of people just do the same tricks, don't they? It took him like three or four visits before he thought that. Yeah. Uh, and this is the trick I think of about that. Um, now we have Tina Leonard. Now and, we got uh, Tina Leonard. This is another the, good one. This, this is, is I believe, act. in Irma's room. In fact, I'm oh, okay. confident it is. This is another routine that I was surprised to see was. 30 years old because again when I when I watch it as recently as December the last time I saw it we, we, um, we were on the same show and she performed this at Rockwell uh, it feels fresh it does not feel like th- something someone's been doing for 30 years which is either her testament uh, testament to her as an actress and a performer or just someone who still really loves it and finds interesting things to do about it yeah um, you know what I guess maybe there, there is a perspective to where I wouldn't be as hard on people doing the same acts for so long. And that perspective is that seeing magic as a different form, as opposed to like, um, uh, a standup who's got to do, like you go on TV, do something, you never do it again or whatever. You right. generate new material that you're seeing magic more as like, I'm an actor, you know, I'm an actor playing the part of magician. Right. And this is my script. And, you know, someone in opera can sing, um, Wotan in the ring cycle for mm-hmm. his entire career. um, so as and so the skill then is to keep it fresh, um, and keep the skills up. God, and you really—I mean, you, if you if you watch through this as a as a magic routine or as a cool piece of performance, it's great and it's delightful. But then if you go back and rewatch it as just a person that's doing both of these things at the same time, I, I like—I just have to remind myself what an incredibly good mime she is. Yes. Um, uh, you, I really until I got to watch this a couple times, I really took that for granted uh, over how like good of a of a mime she is um that that this is one of the, i mean this is one of the things that she makes look easy but yes. can't be uh, it, it's no, wonderful god this must have taken so much work um, right also there are some that mob like, has life to it for other, something some, that's not moving there are some like productions and some some it, it's like she's doing some magic to herself a couple times right um one-handed in ways that are like god this must be a pain <laughs> to like yeah to to not look in the place where you're having to go grab something, um, yeah. There's so many like, yeah. I mean, it's as if you're, it's as if just like, well, not as if. It's what she's doing. It's it's like your hands are doing two different magic shows at the same time. It's like you're yeah. two magicians in one, and that's. You know uh, what? I think we talked. To, we're going to try to get Tina Leonard onto the podcast. Yes, I'm going to. Um, and I think one question I have with her is, I bet she could do this with a blindfold on. Oh, I bet. Um. I I saw this at Mervyn's Magic Club in Palm Springs cool. or Palm Desert or whatever. Um, so yeah, this this act is great. And um, now I will say that similar to the things I've said about the castle, I do think somebody should have consulted the people that were going to be on this show and be like, okay, so how many of you are doing um, hand related mime? <laughs> <laughs> Because she's not the last person on this show to do that. That is a great point. Um, um, 
In fact, I would say that I would keep maybe hers and I would lose Kevin. I would have Kevin James do his rose. Right. And I forgot who the next one There's, But it comes up again. Somebody with like a fake hand. Uh, so Tina Leonard act was great. It's great in 2020. It's great in 1990. Um, she yeah. can do no wrong. She's wonderful. Okay, next uh, we have Brian Gillis. I believe Brian yeah. Gillis is when the, the, the guy with the medallion runs in. He's like, yeah, it's Brian Gillis. Go. <laughs> <laughs> so Brian Gillis is doing his classic coins across routine. Uh, uh, if, you know, of course, anybody who's in the magic community knows that Brian Gillis was a much beloved person and was highly respected as one of the finest, like, sleight of hand people in the, you know, in magic, um, sleight of hand uh, performers in magic. Uh, and it was, a, it was a really big moment when he passed away quite suddenly um, about a year and a half ago. About a year ago or so, a little bit longer. Uh, and this is just, yeah, that, that coin routine uh, that he's been doing for a very, 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 been doing for a very, very long time. Um, mm-hmm. Just some really good coin slide of hand. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. I don't either. In fact, I, I was thinking that I don't have a ton to say about the next three people because it. um, it's kind of like, cool. Yeah, that's that. And you know what? We're spoiled because we're seeing it 30 years later. Um, so. We've seen, although, I mean, people have done linking rings for probably millennia before the next guy does his, but, you know, how many right. coins across have you seen at this point? Right. Um, and I know 1990 was a different time, and out of respect, uh, I will not, we're not going to dive into some jokes here that might not have aged super well. Yeah. I mean, there's jokes um, from six months ago that don't age well now. <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, so now Peter Sklar is back doing a linking ring routine, uh, but then... Um, Jonathan, I believe Jonathan Neal's next. Yeah, yes. Jonathan Neal. Uh, he's been doing this two ring linking ring routine for a long time. I mean, I've seen him do it. Uh-huh. Jonathan, have you ever seen Jane? Uh, I'll, I'll call him Jonathan Neal for the sake of this. Uh, do you have you ever seen him perform before? No, I have not. Um, he's quite good. He's he's very very classy, very uh, clean, and really 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 polished. He does some things that a lot of people do, but he does them very very well. His his linking ring routine is quite good. I, I think. Um, this is a routine that I've seen to different songs over the years. I've seen it them uh, uh, a couple different times, and it's really lovely. Um, mm-hmm. He also does a great uh, thumb tie. He has a really, really good thumb tie with a sword that it's going through. And again, mm-hmm. it's just he's just clean and polished. Uh, the first time my dad ever saw him, he thought he he's, he said he's like he's kind of like if magic had like its own Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, he's very elegant. Yes, he is, and. Uh, yeah, there's only a couple people I like watching do the linking rings, and he's one of them. And, and this routine shows why. He he just he understands it. I I, I think um, I don't necessarily think I agree with everything he does. I, you know, he, he kind of goes back and, and links them up a, a few times more than I think is necessarily necessary. <laughs> I like but that like you have this like philosophical like fuck this guy linking it <laughs> like like I, I'd love it if there were like civil wars over like how many times you link them up with each other um but everybody kind of has their different take like uh you know shoots routine which i think is the best in the world um by by a lot uh and he's someone I'll, I'll, i never get tired of watching do it mm-hmm. uh his is all about it now like it is a puzzle and you know people always ask like can i touch your rings and i go nope and they go well, that's because the rings are, you know, are, are trick. That that's how the trick works. The rings are weird, and he goes, "Yep." And then he like he explains that as a joke and says, "But they're mine, so you can't touch them." And yeah. he, you know, and so um, and he just kind of makes it this really interesting thing. Uh, Chris Capehart kind of makes it a challenge to see how like close you can get, and it doesn't look like he's doing anything. It just looks like it's going right through. Um, yeah. And 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 Jay Neal, uh, Jonathan Neal, has this really artsy routine. Next up, I don't. Uh, what is this guy's name? This uh, is Steve Spill. 
Steve Spill. Um, by the way, he had a book out recently called like Steve Spill the Musical or something. That was a magic book. Okay, I'm not familiar with it. I don't um, know Steve Spill. Um, I'm sure I, I, we've, you know, maybe we've crossed paths. Maybe I've seen him, just kind of don't remember him. Um, I like this. Yeah. Um, this is like, so again, Chris, you're going to shake your head at me for being young. Um, he, like, this is intentionally like 80s, right? Like, this is a bit, uh, right? I would, I, I don't know. Well, the problem is, is I don't know in the context of magic what is intentionally retro or not. <laughs> well, not that so much that it's retro, but this is like over the top. You know what I mean? Like, I how think, many people? I think yes, I, I agree with you. Actually, I think that how, it's part of the intent because yes, I would rather I, for, for an audience. I'll say not even his intent, but what is it? How is it reading? If an audience were to watch this in 1990, are they like, oh, this is how people look and talk, and this is what a magician is, or is it like, oh, this guy's doing a bit? Oh, I don't know that actually. So, no, I don't necessarily know that in 1990, in especially in the context of magic, that somebody would be like, "This is a this is a specific choice." Much in the same way that I'm not sure that people would watch Rudy Kobe. If you see Rudy Kobe's act now, it's like this is very 80s, early 90s. But back then, I think it was just cool. Interesting. <laughs> um, this to me, reads he, he's like as... a rich, he's a lot like Richard Belzer for a uh, stand-up comedian. Okay. Um, this to me reads as a, as a very like, um, heightened bit. And I think it's good. I, I, I think this is unironically like entertaining and funny. And I think it's like a, it's a very, it's a character that he doesn't go over the top with it being a character outside of like how he's dressed. It's like, he's not really leaning into it. Like he kind of establishes the character and just sort of does his magic. Um, and I think it's fun. Like, I, I like this. I think this is colorful and a splash of cool variety in this. I think the duck is funny. Like, I just like this. This is, this makes me feel like, yeah, feel good. This seems like you should, we should check out this Steve Spilled the Musical book for you. Yeah. I, I want to look more into it and kind of see. And if he's still doing, if he's still dressed like this, then I might change my tune. <laughs> uh, I might well, go, um, no, I guess it wasn't a bit. Um, no, I think it's, I guess the, I'm not sure if it's. A combin- I guess one of the questions is, how cool do you think he thinks he is the w- dressed up like that? Is- yes. And I think it's that he thinks he looks kind of cool. <laughs> okay, interesting. I think, uh, so now Peter Sklari is back, um, does a milk carton, milk vanish, uh, um, uh, unsuccessful milk vanish, which is not the first or last time I'll ever see that joke done. <laughs> well, this is why I think that this is like the Jason Alexander slot, because I think Jason Alexander could also do magic with like comedy failure twists in it. Uh, and now here we are. These are, these are, this is the one man. This is the highlight of the show. And the reason anyone should watch it because I didn't remember that this was coming. Um, and then they were like, and now it's Goldfinger, And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Goldfinger and dove baby. Uh, these, you know what? Jack Goldfinger is wearing this bright gold tux jacket and a, the loudest white top hat you've ever seen, and I fucking love it. Yeah. This is entertaining. This is fun. This is charming. I'm not saying this because I want him to book me again, though that doesn't hurt. Uh, uh, this is just, like, really good. Um, this this they're doing like a, this is their famous three-card Monty, their stage three-card Monty. Uh, again, if you've ever seen Goldfinger and Dove perform or you know them as magicians, you know exactly what their routine is. You know all the beats of it. You know the twirl he does. You know all of it. So wait, here's you, what here's what makes this act. Yeah. Now, Chris, I know you hate SpongeBob the Musical, but bear with me here. Uh-huh. I think a lot of people like SpongeBob the Musical, 
And I like SpongeBob the Musical, at least from the, some of the music I've heard of it. I've never actually seen it on stage. I saw part of that MTV thing. I think SpongeBob the Musical, in my opinion, was made by people who really loved SpongeBob. I think that thing was made with love. The way that like Frozen was like, ah, this is big and people like this. We can make this pretty good. Or uh-huh. Anastasia. Like I think that like I think SpongeBob was made by people who really loved it and really wanted to make something good. Now you can hate that. Uh, for many reasons, but I think they, I think they did have good intentions to it. It didn't feel like a weird corporate like sellout thing to me. At least, Ooh, I don't know about that. So the thing is, I, I think that might be true, but I don't think the music was written by people that love SpongeBob. Oh, sure, but like the idea of having a Foley artist live, the fact that it's like full of these inside jokes that you kind of get if you've seen SpongeBob, that you can really only get. I think there's a lot of real appreciation for it there. I think this reminds me of this. Like he has this smile going the entire act that. I never for a second doubt it's genuine. I believe like he is having as much fun as it looks like he's having. And that's mm-hmm. what makes this to me is yeah. that this doesn't feel like he's talking through a smile. He's like into this. They both are. They love it. They love each other. They're having fun. And this is, this is just fun. Like it makes me feel warm. Like this is, this is exactly, you know, when, when, when we talk about being tolerant to the idea of like, uh, that, that Eugene Berger thing I quoted on that crossover episode that, uh, there's, you know, many rooms in the house of magic. And I kind of have to reconcile with, like, there's a lot of people doing weird, loud, kind of crazy magic or big, wild illusions. Uh, and I have to reconcile with that. This is something that's in one of those rooms that I don't have to reconcile with. This is, like, good. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is fun and entertaining. Uh, I enjoyed this very much. If you see this now, are they wearing the same clothes? They don't really perform anymore. I think his philosophy is that, like, so long as he's booking the castle, yeah. he's not going to take up a spot for himself. Right. But, yes, more or less. Um, a little updated, you know, but um, more or less, this is, this is, this is them. Um, Dove was ben, very fuck nice it. I don't really me. know exactly how the scarves are changed. <laughs> yeah, Dove. What do you say? You don't know how they changed? Not, not. I, I, you know. I have a guess, but um, yeah, Dove was very nice to me at my audition. So, um, and now as far talk about uh, uh, yeah, it's so funny. I mean, more than half of the people in the show are still doing these exact same acts. <laughs> yes, Johnny Ace Palmer. Johnny Ace Palmer. Okay. Um, so I want to say this about Johnny Ace Palmer that the the Audience reactions to some of the other magicians in this special are out of proportion with how mild a reaction there is to the end of his routine. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what I mean is that I have seen him live. Yeah. And I've seen him on video. And the reaction that he gets at the end of his routine is like the loudest reactions that I've ever heard. Yeah, he kills. I mean, how and, could you not? And in this finale. special, he does his last moment and they're just kind of like, eh. Um, yeah, and then thought about that. That's so funny. Yeah. So I was watching going like, I wonder if maybe this is like the fourth time they're seeing it or something, or maybe they, right. you know, because of the production, they had to like see them load in the thing that gets loaded into the cups at the end or whatever. But what's really funny about this is this is an act too that has, is very good. I mean, the, the, you know, it's and he and he works really hard for that finale and that is not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, you know the the, the chick finale in, the, in in those cups. What what's interesting about that is thinking back to the fact that a cu- cups and balls has not changed ever, uh, or in the last you know seventy years or so since whenever Vernon came you know wrote that routine and that's kind of been the standard. Is what's interesting is not that I think this act is bad or anything, um, but it like the fact that it hasn't changed has allowed him to still do that and have it be received very very well. You know, uh-huh. like there's no th- there's been no upward movement that has forced someone like him to make a new version of the cups and balls right if that makes sense um i think cups and balls in general does not survive very well on video um 
Sure. I mean, that's so easy to it's, retrace and yes. double back on. I, I, I think live magic and video magic to me just really is, are like two, two separate things because I know that if I was watching this live, I would not be able to like keep up with what's happening. Right. And in fact, he does his final load like pretty early. Um, like they're under those cups for like a while. Right. Um, and, but on video, when you can rewind and see what that, it's just, it's just, I, I feel like cups and balls is not great for video. Right. Uh, just because you can see, no, it doesn't matter how good the loads are. Like you can see them happening. Yeah, you can backtrack. I mean, I, I, w- I remember learning some of my first cups and balls routines, and the way I would practice is I would find one and I would just uh, re- keep rewinding it, and I would me- and I would figure out those moves, and I would just recreate them just for the sake of practice. I wasn't performing these; it was just like how right, I learned. You could learn it just by watching it. I remember learning and watching the Larry Jennings routine. Um, he had a one cup routine, uh, the, the Michael Amar routine. Um, and just to kind of like learn the, the, the moves and, and that, that was how I kind of learned my first cups and balls routines. Uh, by the uh, way, next want, up, who is this guy? Wait, but I do want to do that Goldfinger and Dove act for my next audition. Please do. I will be a Dove <laughs> in a heartbeat. Well, I'd love to get that music and just do like a three card Monty thing or something with that music and just move around and dance and just have it be an inside joke. <laughs> right. Um, what, you know, something Scott's else about or, this or is or that right. I have noticed that a lot of these acts, it, it, there must be some sort of licensing thing. So a lot of these people are doing these acts to like the same music or the same sounding music. They are, are doing this or not. That's what it kind of feels like to me is that it feels like a lot of this music sounds very, very similar. I felt like Rudy Kobe's act was to a sound alike of like, um, Herbie Hancock. Uh, oh, what it, people listening will know. It's the one rocket, Herbie Hancock rocket, mm. which I felt like I saw him do it to that. Or, or or maybe like Art of Noise or something like that. Right. Uh, anyway, this is Scott Servin, I believe, doing a bit yeah, of... Yeah, who I uh, don't... Again, here's someone else that I don't, not, don't know. Um, uh, like what do you think of this? I had never seen this before. I liked it. I thought it was cool. Um, yeah. It's uh, very, it's, it actually does not fall in the going on too long category. No, it does not. Uh, it's just kind of like a neat little levitation with umbrellas and then yeah. he's gone. And he's, he's done. done. Uh it's short, charming, good. Um, don't really know how it works. Uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, another case where I thought maybe we had a fake leg situation going on, but I don't think it is. Um, Solari puts himself in a straitjacket. Yes, I kind of skimmed through some of the interstitial comedy of this. Uh, oh, and then here he is, man, man of the mental legend, Lance Burton. So, did you ever seen this? So, this is so, someone. Um, you know, I have my sound disabled for this. Is he doing this to the Vivaldi? Um. Let's see. He's doing it to because this no. act is famously done to Vivaldi's Springtime. Uh, no, he's doing it to some sort of generic synth music. And that's my biggest problem with the special is that because I feel like there's so much generic synth music across these acts. A lot of them kind of feel the same. Not to any of their, uh, not it's not any of their fault. I mean, that they might sense. not have even known it when they happened. I, and I've also seen more than one act on like Penn and Teller fool us get kind of burnt by that by not getting to use their own music, and then right. it's like. The yeah, rhythm of sense. it just kind of looks weird. Um, so I've never seen Lance Burton really do anything. Mm-hmm. And first of all, I'm a I am a sucker for bird productions. He, I mean, um, this is something I don't know my history of bird magic that well. Something that Bob Dorian said to me when he was talking about magic uh, in the junior program is he goes, "The reason why Lance Burton was so successful." is because he had a different kind of bird act when everyone was doing bird acts. Yeah. I don't know exactly know what that meant, but the idea was that like his stood out and his was different. His wasn't the same thing. Part of that is because he was like young and handsome and, you know, for wearing this, what I can't imagine was a very 
modern looking tux. Um, mm. I imagine that's a little outdated. He looks really good. He looks very comfortable. He looks very like he just looks like the guy, you know. So um, I agree with all that. I think that he. Even in this special, while I was watching it, I was like, oh, I can see why this guy is like, just something about his stage presence is is heightened to me right. above some of the other performers. Absolutely. He just um, really has a presence to him. And I was watching it going like, oh, you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of like, I wonder if this was a FISM act. This uh, was his Fizzim act. And it was um, a Fizzim act. I looked it up. Yes, it was this and the carbon. I don't know if the levitating bird cage is part of his Fizzim act. I'm just, I'm not 100% sure. It yeah. might have been. But I know the doves were. Um, and to beautiful Vivaldi. Uh, and it's amazing. And he won the Grand I, Prix for this. Yes, he did. Um, now, to, to, to double back, now that you have the video in front of you, to a story I told on the crossover episode. If you go to uh, 40 minutes and 35 seconds, you can see the moment I'm talking about where he people went crazy at FISM, and that is when he has a, um, he lights a piece of flash paper and has a candle appear in midair, uh-huh. and then he lights it. And the story goes that, if anybody who had forgotten that episode, the story goes that um, the way he let it go, uh, it kind of appeared diagonally and caught the flame of another candle, so the, it appeared lit, which is, like, impossible, and people went insane. In that moment, to himself, he went, uh, I just won this thing. So, wait, it um, seemed like he threw the flame from one candle to another? Uh, yeah, just I, the, the the candle appeared lit because it just it as it appeared it just caught the flame either of one of the candles oh, or that I bit see. of flash paper, <laughs> and so instead of him producing it and having to light it, it appeared lit. That, uh, that's great, <laughs> which is impossible. <laughs> um, this uh, uh, so yes, yeah, so the the uh, torn restored newspaper is really really good, um, simple. It, and, wait, by the way, I will say that I I I, I not knowing anything about bird magic, I do feel trepidatious about like. What's happening to these birds? <laughs> oh, sure. You know yeah. there have you know it's um it's funny there uh, I, I there have been some people who've spoken out against like making sure you take good care of your doves and stuff. I remember I never met him, but one of my favorite bird performers of all time was uh, Amos Levkovich. He was at the castle a lot. I probably saw his act six or seven times. He passed away about six years ago, maybe. And uh, wonderful, wonderful Israeli uh, magician. Um, uh, was an older man by the time I got to the castle. And he did a brilliant dove act that ended with, it's incredible. Um, he made like eight doves disappear from a cage, and then all of them came flying to him from the back of the palace. It was oh, absolutely incredible. Uh, but and then I, they, I shoot they had, viciously attacked his face. <laughs> right. It was real, right out of Hitchcock. It was really sad. Uh, <laughs> and he kept doing it, poor guy. But, uh, but Shoot was telling me about like how hard he worked, and he's like, he really loves those doves. Like they're his children. Like anytime like, he had, the, apparently he had this apartment. Um, he goes, and, and, and there's like a big room and a really small room, and mm. the doves lived in the really big room, and he lived in like this really, really small room just to make sure they're as comfortable mm. so some people really i think one of the markers is that, that the best performers seem to also take the best care of their their doves i mean he slept in a cage and just shit on newspaper as yeah well. to get the character and he the wanted doves, to live how they live the doves ran a whole full household by themselves yeah yeah the doves paid taxes I would, and everything really I would sophisticated love, birds i would love for what you just said to be true and i hope that it is i have a feeling that it that might not be a universal rule <laughs> Yeah, pro- probably isn't. There's probably people have been really quick really um, about it. Let me ask you about this. He does a levitating globe thing. Yep. Um, what, like what, cage. what school of magic is this? Like, what would be the thing where you'd be like, I want to learn this kind of thing. What would you call this? Like, what books would you go to? Or 
I don't know. I mean, there is some, you know, in Greater Magic, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but there is like a um, across the stage floating ball from uh, Greater Magic mm-hmm. that involves, um, you know, some pulleys and such that are kind of on and off stage. Yeah. That is kind of what this looks reminiscent of to me. I don't think it's the same thing. Because um, I would put this in the same category as the Teller ball thing. Oh, sure. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I find this to be very transfixing and also um, also does play with that expectation of like, oh, I think, I think this is how it works. And then he does something directly to like close that door, basically. Right. He's on top of being a good performer. He's also clearly very intelligent and or whoever, you know, he's very, he's a brilliant guy and is also probably working with brilliant people um, such that uh, they've really anticipated they're just a step ahead of you. And they've done enough time and work to know when you're going to think something and how to, Sort of encounter you there. By the way, that's uh, which is the, really the the. Go ahead. That's in the palace. This show. Yes, I believe this is in the palace. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, now that I think about it, too. Also, this is probably not the kind of act you could do just by yourself. Is my guess. But maybe it is. Do you mean physically, like somebody's actually helping accomplish this at the moment, or just in in creation of it? Uh, physically in the moment. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's some. I I really don't know exactly how this works. Um. I don't know what the hookup is. I'm also not an expert in stage levitations. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like I bet like uh um I bet uh Ginger of Kaylin and Ginger, um uh she has a beautiful levitating ball routine mm-hmm. that she does on stage. That's really, really wonderful. I bet she, you know, either learned from this or I, I don't know if, if she like had this had any inspiration or she's kind of studied this or if this sort of exists independently, but um Right. I bet she'd be able to look at that and go, oh, I know exactly what this is, because she right. has a similar routine and, and would have to know that the ins and outs of it. So I bet. Right. Um, so Lance Burton gets the longest chunk, and he gets the closing chunk, and the whole show's kind of been building up to his show within his show. Right. Uh, and I think well worth it. Yes, he's 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 incredible. Um, that's a great act. If you can find a, a, ver- a video of him doing that on YouTube, it's well worth your time uh, with his actual music with the Vivaldi. Mm-hmm. It's just really wonderful. That about rounds this out. Uh, what did you think of this? What did you think of this special? Like, what did you, like this is your first time seeing like a lot of magic in the nine, you know, thirty years ago versus <laughs> yeah. magic today. I right? actually love this. I think it's great. I just want to note that executive consultants were Milt Larson and William Larson Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, just trying to see if there's any other names that pop up in the credits that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I really like this. Um, I, 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 you know, it's always fun to see little artifacts from the past. Yeah. Um, it would have been probably fun to see, like, if this was on TV, the commercials that went along with it. And uh, generally just a really good, I mean, there's very good magic in this 45 minutes. And that combined with here's a peek into the past, uh, definitely worth watching. I can't imagine yeah. somebody that listens to our podcast, I'm sure you'd be interested in watching this. You know, for me, one of my favorite things was too, was just like seeing how different the castle looked and it yeah. looks pretty different in a lot of places. Uh, in fact, as we discovered, unrecognizable in some places. By the way, at the end it says uh, copyright 1990. Yes, M- MCM XC. So, yeah, you're adding an M and 40, I guess. Oh, a 10 off of C is 100. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to, I don't know how Roman numerals that high. Okay. So it's M is a thousand. And then you add M, but there's a C next to it. It means you, re- you subtract 100 from M. So that's 900. Mm-hmm. And then you subtract 10 from C, and that's 90. And it says CBS Incorporated. So I believe this was a CBS show. Hmm. Uh, 
see. Well, sure enough, I'll have to look more into this. Um, so, Chris, before we sign off, what is uh, what is your your binge worthy thing that you would recommend to people? Uh, I probably already recommended I Claudius, right? Yeah, uh, um, I don't know if you did that on the podcast. I think you just posted about it. Um, yeah, and I have. You know, it's funny. Is I uh, my, my I have Acorn TV, which has the whole show. Oh, you already have Acorn TV. Yeah, I do. Uh, you're such an old man. I don't. It's understand. my mom. She only exclusively watches. I, I won't watch a lot of it. Like I feel like all those British shows look exactly the same to me. It's always about you know some butler in his old pocket watch. Oh, no, I, I Claudius is incredible. But also today I linked to a New Yorker interview with Fran Lebowitz. Oh, you, I did see that. I want to read that. And I love you like liked that, and I was like, of course, John likes Fran Lebowitz. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? It's Fran Lebowitz. It's it's, it's Franny. I don't know. Most I don't have a your funny age. name. Yeah. Um. So I would say. Um, the the thing that we we just started we're about to start a long binge of uh, the Amazing Race, cool, uh, which is on Amazon fun. Prime, and they have twenty nine seasons of it. Um, and that's a terrific. Is there show. that many? Holy shit! I yeah. had no idea there was that much. Yeah, um, yeah, crazy. How about you? Um, you know what? Having just wrapped and watched the series finale of Shit's Creek the other day, I have to recommend that. That's a great. Um, yeah, great. We were great three, watch. Ep- three episodes into the new season. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, gives the gives these characters a, a really lovely send off, um, uh, and that is that definitely. Like somebody was telling me the other day that they never they watched like the first episode and they immediately turned it off. They're like, "Oh, this is just another bullshit fish out of water." I cannot believe Catherine O'Hara signed on to do this. Oh, I, I didn't. Said, I didn't like the whole first season. Yeah, I said no, no, no. Give it sh- really get to know these characters and like learn these to love these characters, and then you realize that it's actually quite. Much like much better than like the bullshit you think it is. You like the, 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 these characters really kind of come alive and in a very fun way, and you really invested in them in a really nice way. So I would recommend sh- that should Creek right now. I've also still been just watching The Simpsons selectively. <laughs> I'm reading a book called Kill Creek, which I love. Uh, that's a lot of fun. So you're you're, so. you're only Creek related content at the moment. Only Creek related content. Yeah, yeah. if it's got a creek in it. I feel like I'm there's interested. something called like Wolf Creek. Ooh. Kill Creek is a cool horror book that somebody recommended to me, and it's, I'm really enjoying it. Um, Wolf Creek was a 2005 horror movie. Hmm. Uh, anyway. Okay, um, so yeah, we'll be back next week, um, but I hope everyone enjoyed this little look into the world's greatest magicians at the Magic Castle. I'll put the link into the uh, the show, the, the episode notes as well. I appreciate that. Yeah, give us, uh, find us on Instagram, set a pod, um, podcast, and uh, let us know what you thought about it. Yep, we'll talk to you next time. Cool. Talk to you next time. <laughs>